folks, Lum Ramayashi here. You know what they say, out with the old, in with the new. Well, to follow that tradition and begin the new year with a clean slate, I wanted to finally release a podcast that has been long overdue. Our review of the Black Clover anime. We recorded this discussion with Annalisa Crispin, letterer for Black Clover and Weekly Show to Jump, and Maxi Bernard, host of Friendship Effort Victory, the weekend after the first episode came out. This podcast was meant to come out the week after, but one dig led to another, and here we are, three months later. So obviously, there are many things we talked about in this podcast that are out of date. The anime has turned out to be a year longer instead of a one-core, and the pacing has been a lot slower than we could have ever predicted. Additionally, because we recorded so early, we didn't get the chance to address the dub, and never could we have expected the show to begin broadcasting on Toonami only two months after its debut. Just shows how a lot can happen in the anime world in three months, which makes timely reviews like this hard to keep relevant if you don't get them out in time. No wonder every AnyTuber made a Black Clover video the month it came out to capitalize on the discussion while it was hot. Unfortunately, I had other priorities that kept pushing the release date on this podcast back until now. But even though we only talked about the first episode, I think most of our observations remain relevant to the discourse on the series as a whole, and it's a fun discussion still worth listening to. Considering we approach the anime from the perspective of manga readers who appreciate the series, our thoughts and opinions are very different than most of the anime reviewers you might have heard talk about the show. Of course, our discussion is limited by having only seen the first episode at the time of recording, and I'm hoping we'll be able to reconvene with Annalisa and Maxi at a later date to give a more fleshed out review. But to comment on the dub for just a brief moment since we don't do it in the podcast proper, I would like to say that I think it's very good and arguably superior to the Japanese version. As this dub actor Dallas Reed is much more experienced and has more range than his Seiyuu counterpart, making for a performance that is far less grating and much more compelling. All the other performances in Funimation's dub are pretty strong too. Nothing stand out, but they all fit the characters as good, if not better, than their Japanese counterparts. If you were initially turned off by Asa Seiyuu screaming, I'd highly recommend trying the English dub instead. And you can watch it every Saturday night at 10.30 PST on Toonami, so hey, why not? Additionally, I want to comment on the anime original material they padded the show out with. It's been a mixed bag, and the stretching of the comedy scenes in particular are very boring, and often grating because of that music, that da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da da I'm not fond of that OST track. However, I appreciate them devoting more time to you know and developing his character arc a little more than in the manga. I think that the original content involving him, like the 13th episode for example, do a really good job in making him feel like a more rounded character and a proper deuteragonist, which is what the manga presents him as, but doesn't effectively execute because we go for such long stretches without seeing what he's up to or how he really grows as a mage. 
and the cameos the anime has added into the show, like scenes with Rebecca interacting with Finral in town, or a brief preview of what Grey looks like untransformed as she walks around in the background of a scene, is really neat as manga viewers who knows what's up. And I like Magnus' backstory with the town elder who got murdered. It really added some interesting, if maybe not canonically relevant, context to his character. So I think there's a lot of good additive filler in the Black Clover anime, especially all the bits involving Yuno, but the pacing and dragging out of events is another matter. It's taking way too long to get to the most exciting and interesting material, and they aren't doing a very good job at leaving off at good cliffhangers that make you want to see what happens next week, which is critical for a long-running shonen. In the first 13 episodes, they've only adapted a volume and a half of the manga, about 10 chapters. Compare that with two and a half volumes and 23 chapters for My Hero Academia's first season. I already thought that the first season of the MHA anime was slow, but Black Clover is another extreme entirely. I can't fathom why they're going this slow unless they're truly planning to make it a long runner instead of just a year longer. But most long-running indefinite adaptations know to get their strongest material out of the way first before slowing down, and Black Clover is still trudging along in the earlier, weaker stuff. Critical reception to the anime is not great, and neither is community reception. The series has more one-star reviews than five-star ones on Crunchyroll. It's hard to see the series winning people back who have lost interest in it. There are just so many questionable adaptation choices all around, really, and I'd like to get into them more at a later date, hopefully with Annalisa and Maxi. Finally, I just want to update you guys on the state of our various podcasts. This is the first episode of a new podcast subseries called Manga Mavericks and Anime, in which we'll talk about anime. <laughs> naturally. That said, don't expect another one of these out anytime soon. Colton and I normally share editing duties on Manga Mavericks, but I exclusively edit all of these side podcasts, including Manga Mavericks ad movies and manga fights, as well as handling everything involving the YouTube channel, including the exclusive content on there like the Juni Tyson and Kino's Journey reviews. However, I'm currently swamped with work on my thesis film and repairing portfolios for job interviews and internships. That's why this podcast was so late. I can only edit these when I don't have any other responsibilities to attend to, and unfortunately, I can't devote any time to editing podcasts myself for the foreseeable future. So while the main Manga Mavericks podcast is back in session now that Colton's returned and he can edit them, the sci-fi casts are going to have to go on hiatus, at least until I graduate in May. It's a shame because I had a lot of topics I had in mind to podcasts, and there's plenty of backlog content for manga mavericks at movies that I still haven't gone around to editing, but I have to prioritize school and work over my hobby. At least until the day comes where I can make my hobbies my job, and unfortunately I'm not there yet. But that's why I wanted to get this episode, this discussion of the Black Clover anime done and out of the way before the year was over, so I can go into next year with no pressing podcast responsibilities to attend to, nothing that I absolutely need to edit in a timely manner because all the movie reviews and that manga fight that I still haven't gotten around to editing, I can still sit on those for a while and they'll still be enjoyable and relevant. But this discussion, already in three months, there is a lot that has become a little irrelevant because we've just waited so long and it's such a timely based review. 
So I needed to get this out as soon as possible. So this is my last responsibility that I had to edit before next year. And hopefully I can get around to all that backlog stuff that I've recorded. And I can edit that once I'm done with my film and just all these school and work responsibilities. Well, that took a long time to say. But with all that out of the way, I think we are finally ready to listen to our Black Clover discussion proper. Hasta la vista, baby! to a special Monday Mavericks bonus podcast about the Black Clover anime. We thought it'd be a fun idea to do this follow-up to our Black Clover discussion last March, and people have been asking, what are your thoughts on the Black Clover anime? Will you do a podcast with Black Clover anime? We're doing it! And we've got the whole crew back on board with Annalisa. Woo! It's me. <laughs> And Maxi! I was trying to think of a code quote. Not yet. That's that's how Aster would sound with my dog. <laughs> and Colton's here too. Ah, da, da. What? We Lord GTC, what are you doing here? Um, I'm just wandering around. It's just heard some black clover stuff of this and I don't know. I'm just here. I live here. This, that's this true, you do thing. live here. It would yeah. be very easy for you to like snoop in. And like, get, open the door. And, like, <laughs> I mean, you are, you are normally in the same room whenever an episode's being recorded, anyway. So it's like we just had to push you forward a little bit towards the microphone. Pretty much, I usually just walk in randomly, grab stuff. Yeah, this and if is Sid's true. screaming, I walk out. <laughs> like during like the cross account rant. Oh yeah, you walked in like right when I was screaming. And I'm just like, okay, what the heck is he talking about? And just back out of the room. Just back out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Podcasting must sound like crazy to everyone else who lives in this house. Because you're like, what is he even Especially since the door we use is fairly thin, so you can like hear most of Sid's yelling like yeah. throughout the house. I need to so. found, find a more soundproof room. But uh, unfortunately Colton cannot join us today, so We Lord is stepping in very graciously. But uh we're excited to talk about the first episode of the Black Clover anime done by Studio Perot, just released this season, and we want to talk about what we thought of it as an adaptation and what we thought its strengths were, what our expectations were going into it, and what we're hoping to see from this adaptation going forward. I wanted to focus on the Black Clover anime as an adaptation, so because we talked a lot about our thoughts on the first chapter back when we did our Black Clover podcast in March, so I wanted to like really focus on how we thought of the anime as an adaptation, and like some things we found very interesting about what they kind of did to bring the material to life in animated form. Okay, so I guess, structurally, I guess we'll just go through, like, our initial impressions and then just find our way through there. I got a bunch of, like, uh, staff listings for both this, the first episode of the TV anime, as well as the OVA last year from Jump Festa. And so I think we should start 
with what our expectations were for the Black Clover TV anime. Because with Studio Perot's name attached, that can be a mixed bag. You know, they've done some really good work in their adaptations, but also they've done some very questionable things too, <laughs> like with Tokyo Ghoul. Poor Tokyo Ghoul. Yeah. With the Tokyo Ghoul adaptation, they really rushed through that material, and then in the second core, they went off in a completely different direction. And it's very strange to me that they're making a Tokyo Ghoul RE anime now, but, like, the end of Square Root of A is, like, completely different than the manga. In the press release, though, they said it's going to take place two years after Root A, so it seems like they're going to rework it as the sequel to Root A. I saw on Twitter, I forget (laughs) who clarified this, but uh, that was a mistranslation. Oh, that that must have been Yonko, I think. Yeah, Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, who, who knows what they're doing then? <laughs> I think Fingers it is crossed. just going to pretend that uh, Square Root of A didn't happen, but the just events of Kyoto the manga saga. happened. So they're going <laughs> to blue exorcist Kyoto Saga. I- I'd be down for that. So there are some expectations from this adaptation, or at least some reservations, because who knows what they would do with it. Would they truncate the material? Would they really slow it down? Like some of the really slow stretches in Naruto Shippuden were, we just didn't know. And we also wondered about kind of just how it would look aesthetically, because Naruto Shippuden, there are some amazing highs in terms of the animation, but there are also some noticeable, like, down points as well, which is to be expected in a long-running anime, but we just don't know, like, what kind of italic was going to go into this, and, like, really how it would look and how the animation would really be. I think that, based on Twin Star Exorcist from last year, I was expecting pretty reasonable production, because Twin Star Exorcist was a year-long production, but it had pretty solid uh, animation throughout its run. I didn't end up watching the entire show, but I stepped back into it from time to time, and whenever I did, it looked pretty solid. I want to ask you guys, Annalisa, Maxie, what did you expect from the Studio Perot adaptation? Did you have any reservations, or were you just really optimistic about it? Uh, well, I had really no expectations because uh, because of the World Trigger anime, which I know was mm. done by Toei, but I was really hoping the World Trigger anime would be good, and it was not at all. So my only thought was, just let it be better than World Trigger. Just let it be a better adaptation than World Trigger. And so, uh, yeah, I've been very pleased with the first episode because it's much better than the World Trigger anime. That's very true. I'm very glad for that. But what about you, Maxie? Uh, I kind of only really had a couple of expectations because Studio Perot, like, the main thing I get from them is that their, their sense of color is kind of, it's very vibrant, but it doesn't always sit very nicely on the eye like literally you can go as far back as like uh ninku in the 90s which is like one of my favorite anime the colors are a bit weird or kari nogo amazing anime colors are a little bit weird and i mean even bruto now like they just they have a sense of color where stuff just clashes uncomfortably and so i was worried it would have a bit of that or worse it would stretch the story out uh like my hero academia worked out super well for people. It did have the problem of dragging out what should have been, like, first chapter, first episode, like, make it all flow together, which the manga did as well. Like, My Hero Academia started weirdly roughly, uh, but I'm 
digressing. So I was like, I was a little worried about how they would fit the first chapter of Black Clover, which is arguably the chapter that causes people the most trouble content-wise when it comes to like dunking on it. I, I was a little worried that would get too much airtime and people wouldn't stick around for, you know, the better stuff that happens immediately after. And <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to overplay my hands. They kind of they've kind of done that. But that's fine, we'll get to that. So yeah, expectations were awkward colours and fears about how they do with pacing. It's interesting you mentioned the colour design of the show. Because I actually think that's one of its big strengths. I really love the color palette in this. Oh, I absolutely do as well. I think there's like a really strong yeah, contrast. Like it, it surprised the heck out of me. Um, there's a soft sort of glow to everything in the evening scenes in this episode that really makes what would be sort of harsh kinds against each other blend nicely and look like a sort of a really high quality scene. Which yeah, yeah. Is, which is great. Like, I, I, I'm really glad that like that prediction from me as such turned out to be pretty wrong. Yeah, there are really good use of shadows and really great lighting. Like, one really memorable scene to me is when Asta's, like, weeping, like, from the trees to, like, uh, interfere with that guy who's trying to, you know, take the grimoire from Yuno, and, like, there's this great shot of, like, Asta, like, in the air, and, like, he's, his jump is, like, framed with him, like, being in the center of the sun, and the evening sun, like, the evening colors in that scene is just really beautiful, as is, like, the lighting effects... I think that the lighting, the color design in the show is just really makes it pop. In the morning scenes, it looked great. At the beginning of the episode, it looked really, really great. In the evening scenes, towards the end of the episode, the colors they used there. Like, uh, very, uh, heavy use of, like, red tones during the evening scenes that I thought really worked well. Yeah, definitely. I think that is one of the strengths to this adaptation that I actually think it got off to a stronger start than My Hero Academia. Because with My Hero Academia, I felt like it didn't really hop visually to me. I thought that the palette, it was very much like what I was expecting as an adaptation from the manga. It did fit with like the colors Horikoshi used in his illustrations. But it just seemed a little too light to me. It just it didn't seem that big a contrast between like the lights and the darks. You know, that would really make it pop. And it got better with about that as the show went on. But in that first episode, I think maybe just, mm. it was like just too bright, it felt to me. But I think also because the course of this episode took place throughout an entire day, so we got this contrast between morning scenes, afternoon scenes, and then evening scenes. Like, there were a lot of contrast in scenes, and also allowed for a lot of different tones to be created in scenes through the different uses of color during the different times of day. I think that the director of photography made some really good calls in suggesting these lighting choices. Agreed. Yes. I don't know why I said it in a voice. <laughs> and I also want to talk now, what we thought about, like, the animation in this first episode. Because I was really surprised there was some really great character animation in this. And also just very some really cool, like, visual gags that they added in that I just really love. Yeah, I, I was... I was so pleasantly surprised because I kind of saw like, so, so the rumor is it's going to be 13 episodes, but, uh, I mean, Puro does very long shonen jump series. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, they could make this into a long running anime. So, you know, I just kind of expected like low mediocre animation. And I was really surprised because, yeah, there are a lot of good character moments and there's a lot of nifty little animation scenes. So I was, very happy with that. 
I think I I was expecting a little bit higher because I had seen Boruto earlier in the year and I was like, wow, the first episode of Boruto it has some really good animation. It's actually really well done. And so because of Boruto, I was thinking, okay, I think Perot like has a really good staff working there right now. So I'm really expecting some really good animation from Black Clover too. And there was some really good animation. I think that like it's just like the little scenes also that have really good animation. Like it's very underrated just like how important it is to like have like good movement during talking scenes to like make sure that what you're watching doesn't feel stiff. Like this is a problem that I had with the Jump Fest OVA last year is that, you know, a lot of the times it felt very stiff. The characters' movements and even when they were interacting with each other. But here, I still got, like, that sense of life. It's not like the characters were, like, constantly moving. This wasn't a trigger show. But uh, just in terms of, like, the pacing of scenes and the art direction and then, like, what they did with the animation, you never got the sense that, okay, we're just watching this still image and only the lip flaps are moving. Yeah, yeah. So it, there were moments of, like, minimal animation, but they pulled off the illusion of, like, selling the scene and, like, that this was, like, living, reading world very well. And that's something that I think is really underrated when you're, when you're looking at, like, animation. But I'd also love just, like, some of these small scenes that they, like, really flourish with their animation. Like, they're, the scene where Asta is about to chop the piece of wood. I love that scene! Yeah, there's just this great motion from him when he's, like, lifting up the axe. Just some really solid animation. And the perspective is really great as well. Like, you're seeing it from, like, the logs in the foreground. Like, we have it, like, centering the, centering the screen. And then, like, we're looking up at Asta as he's about to, you know, push down the axe. Like, it's just a really good shot. And, like, the emotion really carries it. I think that the show is doing a really good job with, like, its shot compositions. Yeah. And framing. And, like, speaking of that, I, I want to talk about, like, that scene, the fight at the end. I keep forgetting who the villain of this first uh, episode chapter is. I just called Bad CG. <laughs> it's, uh, his name is Renchi. Renchi, yes. Now, to mention that CG mess, <laughs> you're right. The, oh, that God. CG chain was definitely not the best rendered they could do. It definitely looked a little out of place with the world. Something from... It, uh, it's to be like, for all the praise we were giving the animation just now, I was like, yeah, this it was really amazing all the way through. Except that. That's how you know he's a now, bad guy. The Come animation on, of the chain itself was really good. And I loved what they did with the chain in terms of framing. Like, with the chain... That they have it, like, constantly moving across the screen, but it also, like, blocks up part of the screen. So, what you get with that is that you get, like, a great sense of, like, framing, like, focus within shots. Like, your eyes are directed to certain elements of the screen and just focus in on certain characters. So, I really loved how they used the chain to, like, break up the shots like that. And there's this really great moment also where, like, you know, the chain user, I think, is in the foreground and then we have you know kind of in the background it's like a out of focus shot with him in there and that's a really good is that the one where it like fades up to the horizon or whatever i'm not sure but there's just this really good like uh a shot like that that i was really impressed by i think that again the framing shot compositions really beautiful as far as the chain itself goes now he mentioned it was not rendered well but again i do think the animation on the chain was pretty good is fine. It's just that, like, the lighting needed to be Yeah, thick. yeah, the, the lighting and the texture on it. Yes, yeah. yes. 
Yeah, I, I think the big problem is, yeah, it did not blend well. Like, and you can see at other times, like, the grimoires will be CG, but they look okay, so you don't notice that they're CG unless you pay attention directly mm-hmm. to them. But yeah, these chains, uh, I hope they get cleaned up when this uh, goes to DVD. Hopefully. As it is, they aren't the worst CG in the world. Oh no, I mean, we literally, we mentioned, we mentioned World Trigger just like 10 <laughs> minutes ago. And, like, if, if you want to talk misuse of CG for special effects, like, that's the big crime in recent history. But it just, I think it, the only reason it bummed me out at all is just, is that it stood out. Yeah. It, and it, I'm sure they will find a way to get around that. But like, it was almost to the point where because it was so clearly different from the 2D animation page, it almost felt like it was moving at a different frame rate. Like it was just a very uncanny valley experience. Yeah, I yeah, like, I can That's I can not see right. That. <laughs> yeah. The animation definitely felt out of place with the chain against like the traditional animation. I think though that that fight scene was done very well though. Like, in the OVA, it was felt very flat. Like, in terms of, like, how it begins, how it progresses, just wasn't very memorable. Uh, again, I mentioned before, like, the scene where Asset is, like, jumping from the trees to, like, interfere in this fight. And, like, in the show, it's just really good. We get this great, like, shot of him, again, like, framed against the show as he's jumping. And the comedic timing with him slamming against the wall is really good. And they add in this great extra jump where he, like, gets up and he's like, hey, I'm here to stop. And then he looks and he's, like, looking at the wrong guy. He's looking at the asshole, like, <laughs> yeah. other guy. And the other guy's, like, shifting his eyes to the... <laughs> villain has to, like, takes a pause and then he, like, uh, turns and then addresses the villain like nothing's happened. It's like this really great small little joke. And, you know, it's great because it seems like such an awesome thing to do, too. You know, like, yeah, I'm gonna beat you. Oh, wait, wait, hold on a sec. You, I'm gonna beat you up. Yeah, you know, like, (laughs) they did a really good job. Like, in the OVA, like, in the OVA version, I feel like it was very much trying to just cover the bases from the manga, just make sure to cover, like, all, like, the story beats. Where in this, in the parole version, this episode, it really felt like they were trying to kind of enhance the experience a lot more with all the lighting effects, with Asa's movements, and with the fight scene itself, where, like, it's a lot more, I guess, dynamic. Yeah. Just, like, Asa trying to run up to uh, the chain user and just, like, trying to hit him. Like, it looks way better than you think. It's, it's awesome. They add in a lot more movement. They have a lot more interesting shot compositions. In the OVA, it's like the scene is taking place during the afternoon. So it's like very standard lighting, not a a whole lot of contrast in the scene. And the way the shot, the fight is shot is just, it's not very dynamic. It's It's, just pretty pretty straightforward. And like, one big moment that I think you can compare is like when Asta is getting hit by the serpent viper attack. I forget its exact name, but like this big attack that kind of like rips into him. In the TV anime, like we have a big red screen. There's some really great sound effects going on. I think like even though they pause on a still image there, that's a really well drawn image. So like we get the impact. Like it's really good. And then in the OVA, it's just such a wash. It's not, like, really memorable like, at all. Like the change it just, just happens around. too quickly. Like, with the show, they linger on it for a good number of seconds to get in the impact. So, the pacing of the fight is so much better. Yeah, like, in the OVA, the change just come at ass and he gets wounded. Like, there's no real, I guess, sense of tension. Yeah. Because, like, they don't really build it up well. 
say what you will about this, how the CG looks, like, at least the chains do convey a more sense of menace, I feel, with the way that they're constantly moving around the screen, like they are snake-like, you know, it does give the sense that this is really threatening guy, this is really dangerous, and Asset cannot let down his guard. And it also gives, like, this very claustrophobic vibe, because the chains are constantly crossing each other. So, like, they're creating this closed space. So there's, like, this sense of no escape. Like, there's really good visual communication of, like, ideas and, like, the tension in the scene that I really appreciated. Did you guys, like, have any particular moments and scenes... Especially during the fight where you thought, wow, this like really popped in a way that I didn't expect. Oh, the actual um, moment of Aster's grimoire coming out to him and going through the sequence of like what each uh, leaf on the on the clovers mean, like how threes, uh, your magic power fours, like divine strength, and then fives, like the devil. Uh, that's a scene that I was really worried wasn't going to be like super impacting, but it totally worked as the sort of the, the end point for the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just really, really nice. Yeah, like the dramatic swell during that scene is really good. Like, they really sold, and the five-leaf clover, it represents the devil. Again, in the OVA, this scene, I felt, just went by way too fast, and again, the colors just were not, like, striking enough. But again, the dark shadows here, like, Asa's, like, green eyes, like, like it really pops yeah. in the show. It's such a strange thing to think about, because the OVA covers more than this episode. It does. But this episode does it in just a way better way. Like, all the scenes, I feel, are executed far better because of just how they're directed and how they look. The pacing, I think, is a lot better. In the Jump Festa special, everything, I think, is just going by way too fast. And then there are times where I felt there were scenes like they're way too slow. There are other interesting changes, too, that, like, convey a different sense of tone. Uh, one really notable one, to me, was when Yuno is telling Asta, Hey, your sister is a nun. She can't get married. Also, you're 15, so you can't get married. <laughs> so, in the manga and the Jump Festa special, like, this is, like, kind of a more comedic moment, I suppose. And we see kind of, like, chibi faces, uh, super deformed faces of, like, Asa, you know, like, against the sky. And so we just see dialogue bubbles there in the manga. And then the Jump Festa special, they convey that with just, like, two faces, like, talking, like, against the sky. Just this detached kind of aside of the scene. But then in this TV anime... Like, they don't play it off as more of a community moment. Like, you know, just says it, like, very straight-faced. I mean, it's still, like, a funny sentiment. But, like, the way they present it is not, like, as flippant a manner as it was in the Jump Fest special and manga. It was very interesting that they made a change like that. To me, it was interesting because they were trying to keep, like, this consistent kind of tone, I think, with this mm. first episode. I noticed they were taking out these comedic bits that wouldn't gel. It would feel kind of jarring if they just did them. So they kind of, like, made everything feel more diegetic in the world, I suppose. At least in terms of the tone that they're trying to go for with the show. Which isn't that different from the manga, but it is slightly different in terms of, like, how they're presenting certain things. I mean, it felt like they were, um, at least with that stuff with, uh, you know, his matter-of-fact statements, like, against Aster marrying sister. I feel like that was more to do uh, than anything with the fact that, like, you know, at the start of Black Clover, as much as he was, like, this sort of stomach character, 
wasn't really established as this sort of just instinctively try hard cool. And like <laughs> having that established now in the comics way, he almost can't help but try and be cool, even if it means he's going to like get close to passing out in a hot springs or whatever. Uh, I, I feel like that sort of, you know, is a lot more present in this first episode because like he, he's saying things about fact that like he's being dismissive, but it doesn't read as, you know, what people are going, Oh, it's just like Sasuke. It just kind of reads off as him being very, very straight. Yeah, yeah, compared to Asta's incredible screamy wackiness. Which <laughs> actually that that has to be said. Um the the voice actor for Asta, a, a lot of people have been moaning about this. I think it's on a technicality, it is the most perfect voice it, for him. It's really okay, so I I didn't watch this episode until like a day and a half after it, it came out for, for various reasons. And all I heard was, oh god. I still hate Black Clover, and I hate Austin even more that he has this super whiny voice. And I was like, oh dear, oh dear. But I watched it, and I was like, oh, that's Asta. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of a whiny voice, but it's not that whiny. And it, I mean, it's it's more just over-enthusiastic screaming. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I, I think the thing that if I had to complain about something is that he, when he shouts stuff, he'll pull out that last syllable. You know, like, I'll get you! You know, I'm not done yet! I'm like, okay, I I could see that getting annoying, but, like, I was so happy because I was so sure, like, oh, no, if if Asta's voice sucks, this series is not going to do well. But I was like, oh, no, it's it's very Asta. And I could see how people could be annoyed with this type of voice, but I thought it was perfect for him. And I don't think it's that annoying. Yeah, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, is the voice for Asta, I think they're a, a relative newcomer to anime they voice acting? They are a newcomer. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty new. The voice actor for Asta is Gakuto Kajiwaro, and Asta is actually his first ever role. Which is so insane This is a complete newbie. Like, he's so good for a first-time role. Yeah. Like, I thought he captured the character perfectly. You have to assume he got cast for audition, like, purely on the strength of doing, like, Esther's over-enthusiastic scream. And, yeah, that's probably going to get old quite quickly, but it's literally the entire essence of his character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Energy, <laughs> enthusiasm, and just go, go, go. That's Asta, and that's what his voice sounds like. Yeah, it's a perfect voice for Asta. I'm, like, really impressed with the voice actor for doing such a good job. As far as Asa rolling his syllables when he's yelling, that's something that the OVA actor for him, Shun Hori, also did. So that's something that's also just, I think, very aligned with a character like Asa, who is, like, constantly yelling and, like, constantly, like, upbeat, energetic. He's like, I'm not going to give up! That's how we speak in the manga. I mean, it's harder in our English adaptation to kind of pull that that last syllable out just because of the difference between, you know, Japanese and English, but like he's always yelling things with that like extension on that last word or last syllable. And I mean you can see it in some of the English versions where it's like, you know, like, oh, I'm gonna defeat you and he'll be like, No, you're not for like twenty O's in that. I, I think so much as well. It just people read it because the the nature of Weekly Shonen Jump Manga in particular as being something that people almost skim for, you know, it's made for really fast consumption of like four hundred pages each week. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it necessarily registers that that's what Asa's doing the whole time. And so now, of course, when they're sat down and there's a set time it takes for him to say everything, uh, the reality <laughs> of the character is sinking in. And that, that, that could go wrong. I mean, uh, say if it doesn't 
at least have a couple of quieter moments by, say, uh, the time that uh, Noelle's appeared and they've gone through uh, her first little storyline. Like, that would probably be a breaking point for a lot of people because, I mean, what, that's going to be like five episodes of him doing that sort yeah. of uh, scream. <laughs> but I, at the same time, I kind of just want him to to stick to performing that particular way just to agitate everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so at the same level, like, yeah, just do it, because that's who you are, Asta. And at the same time, please don't do that. I want everybody to love you. Please don't do that, buddy. Please. I'm the same way as well. Like, it's a, such a perfect performance for Asta. But at the same time, it is one of the reasons that people are getting a little turned off by this adaptation and newcomers are, like, kind of turning away. Uh, there's some friends of mine on Animation Revelation who really got hung up on that. And they were like, oh, God, this screaming is just horrible. I feel like kids would love it. Like, because it, it's, it's a voice that you, you imitate. Like, you, you can't help but just do it. Boys love it. And Mothers think... hate it. <laughs> yeah. I, the kids do really like screaming. <laughs> That can be a good and or a bad thing, but like you definitely see that trend in a lot of modern uh, animation for children that like characters are constantly screaming. You see that a lot in Teen Titans Go, for example. Not not trying to say anything about Teen Titans Go. I'm just saying that is a thing that is very notable about that show, <laughs> and uh, you can definitely see it also in a lot of contemporary Japanese animation. Honestly, a lot of older animation in general that. Animation aims to skewer the younger audiences will have more like screaming characters. Uh, the Black Clover is like really no different in this regard, and I don't think it's like more extreme. I just think that because Asta yells almost every sentence, it's just more noticeable. <laughs> He's just got so much energy. Yeah. yeah, I think once they actually start the fights themselves in the anime, I think people will be more tolerant of mm -hmm. it. Because, like, a scream just, like, out of nowhere can get annoying. But I think in the tension of a battle, it would actually fit really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think people were really, like, thrown off by, like, that first scene where Asta is, like, proposing to the sister. And he's, like, yelling every line during that sequence. And then after, you know, Yuno stops him, like, he continues to yell at Yuno. And just this, like, a long sequence of him only yelling. Never, like, you know, taking a breath and just talking normally. So I think that, like, really was, like, a compressed bit that just, like, really rubbed people the wrong way. Like, if it was, like, spread out more, if he wasn't, if, like, there were more, like, reader moments between his screaming, like, people probably would not have, you know, noticed and, like, gotten that annoyed yeah. by it. Or at least as annoyed as I'm seeing people getting. Yeah. Which, uh, th this actually kind of reminds me of something I was going to ask, because... Uh, like, like a real professional podcaster, I didn't think about rereading the first chapter of Black Clover before coming on this. I feel like they added uh, a, a few things to the start of the story, like particularly with Astra and Yuno as babies. They did. That was another yes. Which, that me. seemed like a very odd decision because the whole time past that point, I was like, "Now I know you're not going to finish the first chapter." <laughs> <laughs> Eyes narrow. Ooh, I'm onto you now. <laughs> It's like I'd crack some sort of secret code. I was like, I see what you've done. You've dragged this out. But like the the additional scenes, I feel like did add a fair bit. Yeah, yeah, they added a lot to tone too. I really like that scene where we see Asin, you know, getting dropped off at the orphanage, and we see the father like pick them up. And I think baby Asin is just the most adorable thing. You know how energetic he was even as a kid. 
and like he kicks the fodder, his his face starts bleeding, but he's like, "Ah, oh, this is yeah. I'll take so care of both of you." Well, one thing I found that was interesting that is not in the first chapter, and maybe maybe we see this later. I I'd have to go back and look, but when Asta's grimoire opens up, you can see the the spell writing on it, and it looks more like Eastern characters like Kanji. Whereas everybody mm. else's grimoire is more of a Western scripty look. That's really interesting. That's good foreshadowing. I think that hasn't brought up in the month before it yeah. uh, later. I don't know if it wasn't. I feel like it goes further to explain why uh, Yami's got a fondness for Astra in the comic as well. Mm. Oh, I need to check this now. That's got me thinking. Yeah, checking through the first chapter. No, we don't see inside the grimoire. The yeah, first it, it, like, like the book opens up, but all you see is white pages. Yeah, I feel like the first time we see any writing in it is in the fight with Mars. I think so, yeah. yeah. Let, me, let me check those files. Where are you covered? <laughs> Let's all stop podcasting. <laughs> we need to know. This is important, okay? We have stopped the podcast to look into the Speaking of additional scenes that I found really interesting, that red-haired orphan kid, they place a lot more emphasis on him in this first episode than they did in the uh, first chapter or the Jumpfesto VA. Like, you have these shots of him, particularly during the magic uh, ceremony where, like, everyone's getting their grimoires, where he's like, you have, like, these shots of him, like, just looking at Asta and, like, reacting kind of to... You know, ask the situation when he doesn't get the grimoire, and then when he makes, people are making fun of him at the end, and Yuno says, like, no, nah, it's not possible for you to be my rival. Like, you have, like, these very notable cutaways to uh, a shot of this character just looking out at Asta, like, with this disappointed kind of look on his face. And I just thought it was very interesting that he was emphasizing the reaction of this very minor character. Never yeah, seen Yeah, we again, haven't seen him at series. all since. But it was very interesting to me. Like, they were giving him a lot more focus in this first chapter, and I wonder why they did that. Because he is, like, such a minor character. Like, even as far as characters who don't appear past this first chapter go, you would think that he would maybe give these kind of scenes to the nun, or, like, she's looking sadly that Asta hasn't gotten grimoire or something. But no, they're focusing on this kid and his disappointment in Asta. Yeah. I'm really interested in seeing, like, why. I'm interested in knowing why they were doing that. I think, like, there's this obvious idea, like, this kid feels, like, bad for Asta. Like, he does, like, care about him, but, like, he's screwing up and he's disappointed in that because he's older than him or whatever. I, I feel like on some level uh, they give him a bit more ground because he's the same sort of age as, like, the bottom end of what the viewers for this show would be. Mm. And so it's, like, it's a, uh, it's a rateable point. By him being critical of Asta, it makes the audience think, like, oh, what if he's not very good, what if he's not a very good hero? Because that way your expectations get defied all the more. But, I mean, that that's probably projecting a little. Actually, I think that's a brilliant point. He could be used as an audience surrogate. The perspective of, like, the audience on Asta, like, they're disappointed. I mean, I was feeling like just sad. <laughs> like, I knew he's gonna get his grimoire, but I'm like, still in that scene, they did well, so I'm like, ah, I feel bad for you. Yeah, I feel so bad, like, watching this episode, I was like, oh, I feel just like I did when I read the chapter the first time, like, everybody around you, they're just such jerks. You try really hard, buddy, and I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. So, so I found, uh, I found where we see inside Asta's grimoire for the first time. And it really is like Kanji. They're very square characters. Also of note, when Yuno gets Sylph, 
It looks like wingdings. That spell is not this western scripty look. It looks like weird wingdings. Wow. <laughs> wingdings. And if you kind of look like a... So this is volume 3, pages 83 and 84. They almost look like they could be the same sort of text, the Sylph uh, spell, and then Asta's second sword spell. It almost looks like it could be the same text. One's almost like drawn with a pen and another's drawn with like very sharp lines. And so I'm probably looking way too far into this, but uh, it's interesting. This is great. We we have just starting our own little sort of Black Clover conspiracy about the text <laughs> in the books. Because like, I've never heard this anywhere else. And so now we've, we've got this. We this did is this, our, guys. We did this. We're pioneering. Black Clover analysis. <laughs> We're giving Black Clover the analysis it deserves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we are now the manga theorists. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a theory, a manga theory. Oh, I, I have to address it because a few people said this to me recently. Like, I know I don't say manga right. I don't know why I can't change it to kind of getting the A sound correctly. It's the one thing in my life I've not been able to correct since I was thirteen. So, uh, they don't need to go and tell me after they listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, you know they I will. Know. They will oh, now. People mispronounce manga, anime, different things all the time. Manga, manga, mango, mango, like uh, so many weird pronunciations. Oh god, just, just guys, Black Clover's really good. It's really good, guys. I just, just wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was really impressed by this first episode and the adaptational choices they made, and like the how well made it was. Like this is a really well made production. I think that's one thing that I'm seeing from a lot of critics. Like they might not be into the story. But they're acknowledging, you know, the show is pretty well made. I'll give it credit yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah, I've been very pleased because people will be like, oh, this, you know, this first episode reminds me why I hit Asta, but the episode looks good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's what it's like, you know, with, with Black Clover, we take off small victories. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Just... Any win's a yeah. win. I think it's good because, you know, a great production can, like, really help elevate a story. I enjoy Black Clover, but I definitely think in the right hands, like, it can be made even better through very inventive uses of the cinematic language and really great animation. Yeah, and Black Clover, it's such a action-heavy series that I, I think the, the fight scenes are really going to make or break this. And signs are pointing to positive right now, so, like, come on, guys. Yeah, based on that preview at the end of the episode where, like, Oss is about to move with his sword, it just looks like there's going to be, like, some huge action scene coming yeah. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, all I really ask of them is just that, I don't know, when it comes time to show off Asta's freakish muscles, they just use, like, their highest <laughs> level animators, get really deep in their ridiculous detail on his, like, gross buffness. Have, have like, sweat yeah. just glistening <laughs> down them. Oh, please. Please. Like, this oh, needs man, to be their sort of their, their Spongebob or Ren and Stimpy moment where it just, like, zooms in into just an incredibly <laughs> highly rendered drawing. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Man, if they could keep, like, all the complexity of, like, Asta's, like, muscle body, like, translate that well to animation and make it look really good, that would be pretty awesome. I, I think it, It's really hard, but, like... It does well to just get across how hard a work he is, how much he's actually put into being, like, the sort of character to back up his loudness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I feel like missing that would actually kind of be a bit of a weird bummer. Yeah, that'd be a huge disappointment. But, I mean, they, they've managed to kind of nail things I was worried about at first. Like, I was, from all the promotional images, I was 
terrified that they were going to go and get Asta's face wrong because like the, the eyes were never quite right yeah. or his face looks a little too soft mm. and then the episode actually came out and I, I don't know if they like had heard feedback or something but it looks like they really went back to the drawing board to kind of just get everything just so yeah yeah it's yeah. definitely a little like I saw the the first you know uh key art come out and I was like well we'll see when it when it airs yeah mm. <laughs> I'm not gonna get my hopes up but but yeah, like, I forgot about the initial key art until just this morning as I was, uh, you know, walking around trying to gather my thoughts. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, those look kind of weird, didn't they? Yeah, I was like, with those original character designs that, you know, we first got for the show, I was a little concerned about how they would look in motion. Mm. But I guess you couldn't, like, really tell from just those still images, like, just how they would look. And especially because... Like, the lighting on those character designs, like, the shading, it wasn't, you know, that strong. Mm -hmm. But, like, when you see it in the show, like, what really sells how the characters look is the shading. It's, like, the lighting of scenes and how the characters pop against the backgrounds. So, like, it really is the visual, the presentation of the show that really, like, sells the character designs as well. Because they feel so natural and distinct in the world. Yes, 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 I agree. Yeah. So, again, just... Really well-made production. I was definitely very happy with how this turned out. I remember, like, with My Hero Academia, that's a great adaptation, but with that first episode, I was definitely not as enthusiastic about it because I just didn't feel like they did a whole lot of interesting things in terms of the direction. I didn't think that, like, the colors really popped. Like, it felt like the manga in motion, but not much more than that. But I think that with the Black Clover adaptation, Studio Parole has really put some real thought into, like, how to, like, take uh, these scenes from the manga and just, like, really bring them to life in animation in interesting ways. through interesting uses of the form of the image, cinematic language. I, I just really thought that it was a well-done adaptation. Yeah. This is, uh, it's, like, great to, like, compare it the first episode of the show with, like, the OVA they did from last year by Zebek, and, like, it's, like, night and day in terms of how you can take the same material, and then you have, like, one uh, mediocre kind of adaptation It's like, you know, does the manga, and you have another one that, like, actually does an adaptation that, like, translates the manga into animation in a, its own distinct way. Yeah. It made me so happy as well, because like, a lot of people were, uh, again, I've, I've not seen the OVA, so I can't commentate on it, such probably, but a lot of people were really bummed out when uh, Zebek were passed over for the full series in favour of Studio Piero. But, like, it turned out better, so I've just been like, Nina, Nina, to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think this perception of Piero being, like, a bad studio in terms of, like, the, their production quality has been, like, misplaced, especially in recent years, because they have such great staff working there now. Like, you watch the tail end of Naruto Shippuden and then Boruto now, and then all the other shows they're doing, and, like, they have really great animation. They have really great directors that, like, know how to do interesting things with the material. I think that Perot was a really great student for Black Clover. Maybe it wouldn't have been a couple of years ago when the resources were stretched thin or while working on more projects at once. Like, back when they were doing both Shippen and Bleach at the same time, two long runners, which were 
you know, dividing their resources in. But like now, I think now that they're also adopting the strategy of, okay, we're going to do more seasonal shows. We're going to keep Naruto as a long runner because the audience is there for long running Naruto. But for all these other shows, it's just a much smarter decision to do seasonal releases yeah. that, rather than the continuous uh, I get project. really confused by Piero's reputation because people go on about how, like, oh, their recent shows haven't been very good, but they're also the studio behind uh, Osamasis Sound, which is, like, one of the most visually experimental anime about right now. And I feel yeah. like there's some sort of cognitive dissonance where they go, oh, well, no, that's a it's a different part of the studio, so the rest of the studio must all just be bad except this. Yeah, and, like, like, but... You understand there are different teams at the studio, so why don't you understand that? Uh... It's like you you can't paint a whole studio with one brush, yeah. and yet uh, Anna Twitter as such really doesn't seem to, to get this. Except I gotta say, talking about painting a studio with one brush, Toei, I'll never trust you again. Never. <laughs> <laughs> All other studios, well, hey, I mean, all right. Even I mean, Gonzo. So Gonzo, I'll give you a chance. But... I'm trying my hardest to think of a show by Toei that, like, I wholeheartedly love. I mean, <laughs> Sailor Moon Crystal Season 3. Uh, Toei really has been... made some good productions. I mean, you watch current episodes of Dragon Ball Super. Like, the early stuff was really rocky, but, like, where it is now, there's some really awesome-looking episodes. Sure. So, I think they've really improved their game. But this, this is where it's my fault for just one, like, not having gotten past... I've not gotten yeah. past episode four of Super, so that's, <laughs> that's on me. Toei can be a hit and miss studio, but they do have talent working yeah. there. Yeah, they, they do, think, like, but I'll still never forgive them. Yeah. Oh, wait, they they totally have done a show I love. Uh, they did Stop Habarikan back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they did Fist of the North Star. I mean, they did a lot of classic shows. You know, I think original Dragon Ball, and even Dragon Ball Z, like, it was really well-directed. Like, yeah. the pacing was the biggest problem with Dragon Ball Z. But, like, you go back to Dragon Ball Z, and there's some amazing animation in there. It, like, super, you know, I think it looks pretty good, okay. But, like, you go back to Dragon Ball Z, and the animation is incredible. There's a reason they can rebroadcast this show today, and, like, people will watch it over just about anything, mm. it seems. Because, like, it, it holds up. It looks really good still. It's just that the pacing was not good. Yeah. <laughs> because they were adapting 15-page chapters every week. Well, he, here's my uh, my question to you, Sid, to tie this all together. Is the first episode of Black Clover better than the first episode of Dragon Ball Z? The first episode of Dragon Ball Z? Isn't I mean, pretty- it looked more interesting, I think. I think the first episode of Dragon Ball Z was fine. With the first episode of Dragon Ball Z, it had some really good scenes. Like, that scene where Piccolo and Raditz are confronting each other, that's an iconic scene, you know? That's incredible. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's the scene that sells you on the show. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I wasn't expecting a sincere answer. <laughs> I, I thought it was just going to be like, well, in Black Clover they didn't go and kill a farmer, so it's not as good. So I actually like your answer a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think people, and I, I was guilty of this in the past, people look back at Real Z and they think about the pacing and they equate that to, oh, this show was not well made at any point. It was all, it always had bad animation alongside bad pacing. Uh, it was just really bad adaptation all the way through. But no, there were some really good parts of that adaptation that deserves like more critical attention than I think people have given credit for. I think that the Black Clover anime is also like really well made and it's worth looking at what is making it work over just criticizing, oh, the story is like Naruto, whatever. Like, I think to me, it's just so much more interesting to look at 
what <laughs> look what at how the story is tell, told than the, the story itself sometimes. <laughs> so I, I, I totally agree. <laughs> There's just this absurd car horn in the background the whole time. <laughs> I thought it was some like sensor sound at first. Like, wait, what are you trying to say? Like annoying that you were getting like too energetic about something. Like you were get. It's like an alarm that plays whenever you're getting near like cross account levels of like uh, energetic about talking about a series. <laughs> I didn't watch it. Like let it distract me. That's my point. Sorry, really, yeah, well, no, you, you made it for your point strong. I'm sorry that I had to go and laugh for the whole thing. <laughs> oh, but no, yeah, absolutely agree. And I, I feel like that's actually kind of a neat accidental sort of a, a through line there, where uh, Black Clover, I think, is going to be deserving of more uh, more attention than um, than it's really likely to get for the first episode because it is a Shonen Jump anime, because it's a Shonen Jump action anime. People are just kind of kind of looking and going, say, "Oh, it's another one of those." But, you know, fingers crossed it'll get more love as it goes on, especially once Yami's on the board, because... Everybody loves him. Everybody loves Yami. Oh my god, everybody loves him. And how could you not? Exactly. He is, he is the perfect... He's the perfect dad. <laughs> the perfect deadbeat dad. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really... I think one of the more disappointing things about the season will be that we won't get to, like, when Yami really establishes yeah. himself as, like, a really great character. Yeah, yeah that's true. But, you know, hopefully, I mean, they go through this, the manga, by, like, just 13 episode chunks. I think they could be really good. I, I feel like the manga's really well constructed for that as well. Yeah. Because of, I mean, uh, Tabata Sensei says it himself, like, has, like, this bad habit of roaring through storylines when he means to take his time, which works really well for short series, because you're never going to have a story that runs past that point. Yeah. I definitely think the seasonal format has really uh, been a great practice for studios to adopt. It's worked wonders with My Hero Academia. With season one, I think the biggest problem is that because long-running series do play the long game, it takes a while for them to get like to like the really meaty like parts that like really hook you. We saw that with My Hero Academia season one, which like people like fine, but there wasn't like this big passion for that we saw with the second season. Yeah, when the second season came out, it just the series got popular with the first season, but second season aired and it exploded. It was insane. Yeah. Sid, I'm gonna go check I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, they're just they're enthusiastically agreeing. They're just doing the proper sort of mabam. Great job. Yeah. Horn, you know, yeah. it's great. <laughs> Are you guys talking about black clover in there? Hong Hong, let me in, Hong. <laughs> uh, it's Colton, he's travelled all the way along to join us. So completely unrelated. Well, not completely unrelated, but uh if people wanna see some fun images on Twitter, black clover underscore off is the official black clover Twitter and the uh the Japanese editor Katayama-san is amazing, and he cosplays Asta, and so you can go see pictures of him as Asta, dressed as Asta as they they watch the first episode of the anime in the editor's room at Shueisha. They have a grimoire ceremony where they're like throwing a dictionary at somebody. There's some great stuff on Black Clover underscore. That sounds off. amazing. Black Clover's editor is just. Amazing he, when it comes to gift. like supporting the comic. Yeah, he is a gift to this world. He's so good. I really love that interview you guys did with him. Like he's just so passionate about Black he's Clover. So it's, passionate. It's really like cool. I don't. He and Tabata Sensei are just they're gifts to this world. They're just so energetic and they love it. And 
I mean, they're both very much Asta-type characters. They just go, 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 go. And everything's just, yeah, we can do this. I love them it, so much. It really makes me nervous for the inevitable day when they do an editorial <laughs> rotation and those two aren't together anymore. Oh! It's like, they, they've been really lucky. Like, they've gone a, a few years now without actually having to swap out. Yeah. Which is super rare for that magazine as far as, like, it's been recently. Yeah, like... So, like, they, they need to say that they're a strong team. Yeah, like, come on, just... Let them stay together because Katayama-san is just so, so perfect. They're such a good team. Come on. Well, I can imagine if he got moved on to like having to edit someone else's comic, he'd still dress up as Aston <laughs> regardless. Like... He's like, I could just see him at Jump Festa and people are like, shouldn't you be like dressed as, I don't know, like somebody from Robotics Laserbeam? And he's like, I could, but look at this big sword they made me. Because <laughs> he, he actually has Austin's first sword now. And it's super cute. That's awesome. God, I love Katayama's song. He's so great. Yeah, Black Clover underscore off is the Twitter. Go check it out. Yeah, I definitely have to check this out. Lots of great things in it. It's just really cool to see so much enthusiasm for Black Clover. I mean, we're definitely seeing some, you know, criticisms. The same that we saw back when the first chapter came out. But I think overall, though... Just because the show is made well, we have a little more enthusiasm for it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And and I hope more people will check it out now. There were a lot of terrible rumors before the anime started where people were like, I don't know if I'm going to check this out because people say the anime is, the manga is, you know, kind of crappy. But hopefully, because the anime is pretty damn solid, people will be like, okay, well, I'll give it an episode. I'll give it, you know, a couple episodes. And hopefully they can get over uh, that hang up of Austin yelling all the time. But we'll see. Yeah. It's really the sort of thing where for every person who's like, oh, I've heard the comic isn't very good. I just want to plunk down like the, the latest chapters of it. Cause it's so much easier to sell people on it yeah. with uh, the comic it's be- become than the comic it starts as. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't think the beginning really is bad or anything, but it's like, you have to kind of build up the world and stuff. You have to establish those characters and stuff. But, but yeah, like now that we have all that establishment out of the way, it's just like, yeah, look at these cool characters and everybody's got cool powers. Oh, speaking of which, I've got a question for you guys. So, uh, I was in the weekly manga recap podcast chat this week and somebody there was complaining about the different types of magic being the same. So he complained that I think it's Hamon's glass magic is exactly the same as Gauche's mirror magic. And I was like, no, it's not. They're similar, but they're different. But he was very insistent. So I want to hear you guys' thoughts on that. I, I don't think any of the magic powers are that similar. Like, I mean, we'd literally got put in a situation where we were having, like, a, a, a sort of mirror match between Fimur and his brother, and their powers are incredibly similar, but they're still... They're way different, right? Because they're, they're different takes on the idea of teleportation. Yeah. Like, one, one of them is a very aggressive sort to match, like, this sort of twisted, dark character, and, like, the other one is... Uh, almost still developing, like, Fenrir's power has, it's mostly just been used as, oh, I need to get out of this situation, or I need to get people into this situation. He's not had to be super creative with it until really meeting and working with Aster, and he's, like, developed further and further from there, yeah. and it's changed his hair colour, <laughs> or so he says. Which, I don't know if that's a joke or not, but it's the best line in the latest chapter of being like, I trained so hard, my hair changed colour. <laughs> I think the big difference between Gauche and Finral's powers is that Gauche reflects 
attacks, I guess, and then Finral would redirect, I think, through his portals. Hmm. But I, I think every power is significantly different. Like, none of them are used for the exact same purpose either. Like, I mean, even if you take the, the obvious free power sets where you can say they're exactly the same, you know, uh, Fuego Leo, Merio Leona, and... And Leopold? Leopold, thank you. I was trying to use all the fancy full names, and I was like, nope. <laughs> like, they, they all have different approaches to using fire yeah, it, magic. It's all fire, like, Leona's manifests as an actual, like, sort of being most of the time, like the sort of the lion form. Uh, Frega Leon's is very focused, almost laser beam level fire attacks, like, quite literally. And then, like, Leopold's is. Uh, a sort of a more raw fire yeah, everywhere, it, it, do what you less, can. Um, I guess trained to the point of, of his siblings, you know, it, it's it's a little more uh, rough. Uh, so I, I feel like with these sorts of things where people go and say, oh, this is like this, the, the answer, just a little cynical towards all the people that say the stuff negative, is it's all about how far you choose to actually read into something. If you're just going to look at the surface, then yes, everything's exactly the same. Black Clover is Naruto. They are the exact... <laughs> they're both wearing headbands, exact same. But, like, or all the magic's the same, or all the magic's the same as the characters in Fairy Tale, whichever approach you want to take. Oh. Like, you get you get what you put in. If you're looking beyond the surface, you see the flourishes, the nuances, the actual design choices and story choices that really make a series stand out. And because Black Clover is like this epitome of the weekly Shonen Jump ethos, like it suffers it more than most, but that's kind of why it's great, is because it's refined refined the, the generic nature of a magazine into a perfect comic yeah, for it, me. It is it is the epitome of shonen. Like for me it has everything I love in shonen pretty much perfectly. And I, re- I read it every week and I'm just like so fired up. Even when it's like a slower chapter and they're just building to something, I'm still like, yeah, I could do this, you know? It's hot blood and shown yeah, set to the and, extreme. I mean, <laughs> even still with its, let's say, stereotypical, you know, shonen tropes, because it, it is a very tropey series, like, it's got so much going for it. I mean, before recording, we were talking about some of the new characters and how amazing they are. And, you know, you've got your, your new asshole character that you just can't help but, but love. He's a jerk, but he's so awesome. Oh, I heard somebody, I heard a couple people, I read a couple people on Twitter saying like, yeah, you know, this first episode really shows, uh, how the, the character of Austin is just a bad version of Naruto. And I thought about that for a long time. And it really is, yeah, you're not really watching the show. I mean, they're orphans that end up having a big dream, but they're not that similar. I mean, I'm biased, of course, but you see in this first episode, Asta's just working his butt off all the time. Yeah, uh, well, which is the antithesis of Naruto. Yeah, I mean, Naruto's just like, he's just goofing off. Well, that's not completely fair. Naruto was trying, but he just didn't have a whole lot of skill. And, like, his goofing off and, like, class clown antics were kind of, like, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, like for I, attention. I, I understand that. And I, I don't want to say that it, it's Naruto doesn't try, but, I mean, Asta puts in, you know, like, 600% effort. And I think that's one thing that sets him apart, which, and I'm not, I'm not faulting Naruto here at all, but it's just one of those things, like, they're, they're different characters, whereas, yeah, Naruto's doing this to get attention. Asta's doing this for his ultimate goal, you know, and his goal isn't to be popular with people, isn't to get people to like him, it's to be the wizard king so he can help out people like himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting to see people still calling that comparison. 
Also, people are saying that he's more of an annoyance to everyone than Naruto was, which I definitely disagree because Naruto was a terror to the entire village and Asta's just a terror to sister. <laughs> which, you know, is its own sort of problem. Yes, that's, that's definitely a problem, but... Yeah. I mean, it's literally still a problem for him now. Like, he's grown, there are characters who are, like, uh, a- attracted to him, but the thing that will always get in the way is this this childish dream of wanting to marry a nun. I love that so much. He's got this growing, like, harem that he doesn't know about, and he's just like, one day I'm going to marry sister. One of my favorite lines from Asta is during the Hopsting chapter, where, like, I forget who's suggesting they should look at the girls at Hopsting, and Asta's like, my heart only belongs to sister. I categorically refuse to look. And then, like, the chapter ends right there or something. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Oh, Asta, I love you so much. Overall, we think the Black Clover anime adoration is pretty darn good. There is one more point I want to mention about it, though, in that the practice of splitting the first chapter between two episodes. This seems to be a very recent practice we saw before with My Hero Academia. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this practice and what do you think it's like a good strategy and what would work for Black Clover in this case? I was kind of hoping they wouldn't split it but the place they split it at is an excellent place because it really builds up that tension like oh look he's got a giant sword and now you know now stuff's really starting. That said I don't know what they're gonna do for the second episode because like you finish the you know the battle and then I think they go directly into the uh, the entrance exam and like are you going to split up more of the entrance exam are you going to actually go into the entrance exam or you like what are you going to do to fill the rest of that episode so like I, I don't mind yeah. that they split it up so much because it was a good spot to end that said will it cause problems for the future I'm a little worried my guess is that like the first half of the next episode is going to be like them showing the entire oh, no, flashback no, no, no. with you know and Asuka's oh, okay, no, that kids. Sounds okay, I thought you were going to say they're going to like like recap the first episode, and I was like, no, no, it's just, <laughs> no, 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 that would be a bad yeah. start. Okay, the second oh. episode, it, yeah, that, okay, that, that, that I could get. That'd be a behind. terrible yeah, idea. That I, that I could see. Yeah, but that, that it'll be that part and like Asta beating the chain guy, and then the second half will be like the beginning of the exam. Overall, I thought the pacing in the first episode of Black Clover was really well, so I don't mind this practice. I actually thought, no, the end point of this episode was much stronger than My Hero Academia's first episode's end point. Yeah. Which, to me, like, I didn't feel like there was really a big climax in the first episode of My Hero Academia. But, My... like, with Black Clover, yeah, you get that climax. He gets his grimoire. He gets the sword. You get, like, the tease that the fifth five-leaf clover represents the devil. So you get, like, a big moment to end that episode, and that's, like, yeah, selling point. And then at the end of the first episode of My Hero Academia, I felt that just ends with, like, him, like, tagging along with All Might. So it's, like... My Hero's premiere ending just feels like it yeah. ends abruptly. Because it's, like, yeah. if I recall, it ends on, like, uh, Midoriya asking uh, All Might, like, can I be a hero? That's also yeah. a pretty good place to end, but it's not sad- as satisfying yeah. Yeah. than with Black Clover. And I feel, I feel with that, like, the first chapter of MHA, I feel, is a much better experience than one go, where, like, here, I guess, like, just the way they executed Black Clover here is just, like, they ended on a good spot because it's just building up the suspense for the actual battle. Yeah. MHA's, like, first chapter doesn't really have, like, a 
big battle per se. I guess it does have like the slime monster and stuff. Yeah. But it's the whole big picture of that and like Deku trying to be her all might kind of embracing his own heroism. I mean, they're good episodes. I just feel like the first two episodes of My Hero Academia should have been, like, a one-hour special. This is exactly what I was going to say about Black Clover. Like, I'm totally fine with where it ended. Like, I, I realized it was going to happen early on into the episode, and I, I came to terms with it. I went through my five stages, and I was like, sure. <laughs> um, but it really would have, I, I feel, benefited them to have run two episodes at once. As difficult as that can be with the mm. way uh, time slots on television work, I think it's a lot to ask people to wait one week for the first big fight of a series. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, I think that with the premiere of a series, it might have been interesting if they could have done one-hour specials. But given the way time slots work in Japan, I understand why they didn't do that. In general, it's pretty rare. I mean, they did it for the Fate series. But yeah, but Fate's yeah. like huge. Uh, I guess that's a different animal altogether, for sure. But I think that about wraps up our thoughts on the first episode yeah, of Black, Black Clover, <laughs> for sure, this time. Uh, I mean, there's still some Twitter comments if you guys want to, like, address. Sure. Okay. So, let's see. We did get some com- we did get a very- you had a very long conversation with your Uzua boss on Twitter yesterday, Maxie, that we can use to <laughs> address oh. some uh, criticisms of Black Clover, too. Yeah, she- she really didn't like Black Clover. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing in Euro's case, though, is that she really hates Naruto. Yeah. I do feel a lot of Naruto hate is very reactionary <coughs> and very unfair. And I think, like, a lot of the comparisons people are making between Black Clover and Naruto is, like, in an unfavorable light for both series, because by comparing it to Naruto, they're comparing it to something that they think is bad. But, like, you know, it should be a compliment to compare Black Clover to Naruto, (laughs) because Naruto was really good. And, like, that first chapter of Naruto is, like, one of the best first chapters of any Shonen Jump series, I think. I mean, I think the one big tread between uh, some of these Twitter comments we've got, especially in the conversation you, Maxi, had with your Zua boss, is that people are put off with the marketing of Black Clover as the next Naruto. But here's the thing, it's uh, not the marketing, it's not, it's from one interview, and yeah, people don't understand how marketing works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think it's more the perception that, oh, people are hyping this as the next Naruto. But it's not, like, on the part of Jump itself. It's not the part on Shueisha itself. It's just the fans of the community's <laughs> like, oh, this is obviously trying to be the next Naruto. I also yeah. think, like, the way that people are interpreting the next Naruto to mean means literally being a copycat or ripoff of Naruto. Yeah. Which I don't think even in that interview that's what they were meaning. I think they were meaning, like, they want it to be the next Naruto in terms of popularity. They want this to be, like, the flagship shonen. Yeah, they, they, they've lost two of the big three. They lost Bleach and yeah. they lost Naruto, because they ended. So, I mean, there are lots of really good series in Shonen Jump, and Black Clover's a type of series that could be strong for a long time, you know, because just the wealth of uh, the world uh, in Black Clover, there's a lot of possibilities for stories. So, you know, it'd be great to have it as another flagship for the magazine. There's nothing wrong with that. In terms of Battle Shonen, like, Shonen Jump in Japan has been pushing MHA Black Clover and now recently Kometsu no Yaiba really hard. These are the series that they want to be, like, the next One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach. Yeah. And I do think it's a little hypocritical of people to complain about 
them pushing Black Clover, when they push My Hero Academia just as much, if not more so. And even if you might like one of those series more than the other, that doesn't mean like the other series doesn't also deserve to be popular if it, you know, is appealing to people and people are getting something out of yeah, it. The, uh, yeah, the, the weird impression people have of Weekly Shonen Jump in Japan, of it being a directly competitive magazine, which it isn't, this kind of comes back to the whole misunderstanding of how the table of contents works. It drives a lot of people to take an us-versus-them attitude. They see it as like the console wars, but for comics, not that either of those are a real <laughs> thing and both are tragically <laughs> awful. Uh, so, like, if you like My Hero Academia, you can't possibly like Black Clover. But the thing is, I adore them both because they're two very different approaches to the next generation of shown in action and what that could mean. Uh, Kamesu no Yaiba as well. Um, like, if, if you really want to compare them to stuff, like, Black Clover does have that sort of narrative vibe. My Hero Academia, of all things, reminds me of One Piece, how it can be, like, both deadly serious and a goofy-ass comic at the same time. Uh, and, and, and not that you should really draw lines between this comic's like this comic, but, like, in the way they're pursuing the success of how they're marketing them, how they're trying to put them out in the world, you have those, and then, like, Kamesu no Yaipa's out as the, uh, the sort of Yoshihiro Togashi-esque uh, oddity. Like, I, I always find those figures... Yeah. And, I mean, heck... Uh, this this is my weird assertion I have to keep constantly making to people. I'm convinced that uh, Boruto as a comic is taking a lot more from Bleach than it actually does from Naruto, like as far as inspiration goes. Uh, a a oh. lot of that comes from the uh, how it shies away from using tones, how backgrounds are secondary to the action. Like it, it's uh, it's a stylistic thing more than anything, which explains why Boruto is incredibly cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, which is been my sort of weird assertion with that comic for a while it's it's not the most amazing comic in the world it, it's I, I feel like the cartoon actually handles the idea better by making it more of an all-ages fun thing but it just is kind of slick and stylish uh in that same sense that black clover i think as a comic's always going to be like compared to its own show it's always going to be the sort of the detailed more dense version of a story where the anime that seems to be willing to uh let it breathe and try and turn it into something a bit more accessible. Mm-mm. That's a really good point. But yeah, I think just overall, you don't have to, you don't have to hate Black Clover to love MHA. Both things can exist and can be popular and entertaining for different people at the same time. Yeah. Now you can hate both MHA and Black Clover and like Kimetsu no Yaiba. <laughs> this is all fine. As, as it goes, it always has to be said because people forget this a lot in manga and anime fandom. It's okay to like or dislike something and that just be how you feel about it. You don't have to even project it to world and be like, well, that's just my opinion. You can just feel a way about a comic and not have it matter. It's, it's great. So, so, uh, one thing, and I, I've spouted this a million places a million times. One thing that kills me about people that hate on Black Clover is, is the hypocrisy of them hating on it. Because like, if you don't like it, you don't like it. You don't have to tell me why you don't like it. You know, like, like people have told me, like, I just don't really care for World Trigger, and World Trigger is my star child. You know, but like, I'm fine with people, I'm sad with people don't like World mm. Trigger, but you know, whatever. But like, when people tell me they don't like Black Clover, it's always like they have to qualify it. Like, I don't like Black, tri uh, Black Trigger. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be interesting. That'll be the next cross epic, won't it? Uh, like, I, I don't like Black Clover because, you know, it copies Naruto. I don't like Black Clover because this and that. And like, you don't have to, in my opinion, make up reasons to hate a series. You just don't like it. Yeah. Whatever, you know? 
It's so, fine. It, it's yeah. in a magazine with 20 other comics. You're not going to like them all. I certainly don't. You just don't have to make a thing of it. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I had to say this on Twitter the other day because I see it all the time. Guys, liking something cool do, or liking something popular doesn't make you cool. And disliking something popular also doesn't make you cool. <laughs> Exactly. Like, I, I've seen people like, well, you know, I, I see so-and-so is popular. Well, I'm not into that. Like, okay, also, whatever. Like, in conversation about it as well, there's a, a, a level of disingenuity about a lot of things. Uh, and the, the one that gets me the most is people going, oh, well, I don't care about this comic or I don't like this comic. And, you know, being kind of laissez-faire about it. But there's, they're doing that a million times a day because they really want you to know that they don't care about it. And yeah. it's like, why? <laughs> why? Don't. Yeah, like, hey, man, that that's cool, but I, I don't need to hear that 80 times. Yeah. Like, I like yeah. it. I'm sorry. Let people like stuff. Like, I, I mean, I think, at, what, over half of us here, at the least, have probably had bad things to say about fairy tale in our time, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's say all of us then. But at the same <laughs> time, we don't go around telling other people, oh, it sucks. We just go, oh, I don't like it. And then, I mean, let's be honest, don't talk about it very much. Yeah. Yeah, I've only read like the first few years of it. I'm not going to turn around and go like, oh, it's an awful thing. I'm just going to go, yeah, I own like 45 volumes for a charity bundle and I can't bring myself to read them. That's fine. That was, was that that humble bundle? Yeah, I've never thought like I've got a better deal that I'm never going to (laughs) use. I I read the first year of it and I got to the point where it was uh, the the first storyline I really liked that introduces the metal dragon guy and stuff. And I was like, oh, Oh, I really remember liking this. I best not read it just in case. And I felt really happy about that. (laughs) Because I I, I feel like I've protected a really nostalgic memory of enjoying that when it was first coming out from Kadansha. Oh, you're a precious thing. I'll put you on the the shelf and never touch you again. Just like 90% of the manga I own. Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, 90% of the monkey you own on shelves is like 2,000 books, so. That's true. That is really true. Oh, those Ultimate Muscle volumes. Still innocent. We're going to do, we're going to read it at some point. Eventually. For a podcast, for sure. Yeah, we definitely have to invite you on. The, for the weirdest part of uh, <laughs> collecting on the muscle because I I have the first sixteen volumes and uh, Velo, do you have like just an assortment from all over the place? Is learning how much uh, for, for lack of better phrasing, the pre Annalise volumes, learning how much they're worth at the moment, or rather how oh, much people God, charge for them? Yeah. Like I, really? I've got I've got volume six in pretty good condition according to Amazon like marketplace stuff. I could sell that for like three hundred pounds. <laughs> One of, like, Volume 7, Annalise, goes for over $100 now. Oh my god. And again, no, and Volume 9 is over $200. Not, not, oh not, to, not to say that it reflects on your work at all, but it seems like the, the, the later volumes are still pretty accessible. So, like, c- clearly your influence m- meant that people were like, oh yeah, no, we have to make sure they buy this cheap to see the good, tra- the good lettering, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, they're probably like, Oh, no, I don't want that. Oh, God. Oh, no, no. no. It's pro- I mean, uh, or if Wait, I want to no. be harsher to a series that I do love, but I'm aware of its flaws, it's probably around the point most people got sick of it. <laughs> like, I, I, I love Ultimate Muscle, but boy, howdy, is, is it what it is? It's definitely a comic that ran in Weekly Playboy for a few decades. No, uh, five years. <laughs> 
where Kid Muscle poops out a guy with a toilet head. Oh my yeah. god. What was, the, was that guy from, like, the Aztec Empire or something? Yeah, all the, all the poop people have an Aztec connection. I was like, I just don't understand how he's, like, a toilet, but he's, like, Aztec? It, it doesn't have There's to make sense. a lot of things I did not understand. Were the Aztecs into scatology? <laughs> Gr- grown, bi- grown businessmen oh. call into a radio show in Japan to submit their ideas for uh, Kanikuman characters to uh, to Yuda Tamago and oh my god like uh, this this was obviously it started when the readers were children but now you get all these older people who just have the most deranged ideas for new characters <laughs> yeah do, do, doesn't uh, Yuda Tamago still take like a uh... Design suggestions. Oh, 100%. Like, the... even, even now they're back to doing the original Knickerman again. They're, they're still taking yeah. ideas from grown men on the radio. It's great. Yeah. Cause I remember them doing like a contest thing, like right before the new arc started a few months ago. Mm. But now, now we've massively oh, gone off the rails. Long tension. We definitely have to talk about this more at length, uh, at a later date. But to wrap up the point we were making earlier, I, yeah, I agree. We don't need to, qualify why you dislike something if you dislike it. I definitely think that to ex- uh, various extents, like, we all have been guilty of this, especially when we were younger and just getting into fandoms, maybe. I know, yeah. at least I... Was oh, yeah, I mean, I, oh, I used to be the here. worst tool on, like, several manga forums because I was right about everything and I surely was. No, no, I was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, and that's kind of another thing as well. Uh, a weird realization you kind of get as you become the older side of these, uh, these social groups is, you know, these people are just kind of making the same dumbass opinions that you made when you were younger. And that's fine because that's yeah. kind of part of being young. Uh, I'm turning into a crabby adult age man who's just like, no, please, please don't. I just want to like the thing. I, I I look back and I go, oh god, no, don't be me, don't be me. Oh, <laughs> I was so awful. <sighs> I think at a certain point you realize that there are just some things that won't resonate with you, and it's not because those things are necessarily bad. They can be pretty good and appealing to a lot of people, but for some reason, and this is going to be very specific to every person, everyone will be different in terms of how to react to a piece of work. But sometimes you just won't respond to a work that other people seem to really enjoy, and you just won't get it. But that's okay, because there are other things you can enjoy, and they can enjoy what they're enjoying. And it's all just good, because they're all bringing happiness to people in the world, and they're not doing harm to anyone, they're just bringing joy. Yeah. Now, there are some pieces of media that... I do think are literally like have bad messages. Oh yeah, like so saying... in those cases, I think you do have legitimate complaints you can make about those. I think that there's so much misplaced hatred against series that people just say, "Oh, this is quote unquote generic," which is, I feel, a very overused term. Yeah, yeah, uh, like the... that. You know, does not need to be there. So it's not doing like anything that's appealing to you right now in a really like emotionally engaging way. But that's fine because it's not doing anything that's wrong. Either. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a big difference between uh, railing on Black Clover for not much at all and uh, a slightly more righteous thing like being annoyed that a Disney-owned publisher would choose to go and team up with a, a weapons dealer. That's that you yeah, can be annoyed about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that- 
That was bad news. Oh boy, Marvel. That is a that's a whole can of worms. It, it does it does <laughs> well to set a idea. sort of set a scale. You kind of go that's that's the end. You can be enraged about and hate a company forever for maybe a comic being just not your bag. Maybe that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a lesson we all come to. I mean, that, that's a point. that's a terrible way to argue my point. But I just really wanted to be mad about that for a few more seconds. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean, it is a pretty absurd thing that happened. I was like, what are you doing, Marvel? But let's not focus on that. Just to wrap up this point, is that if you like really have this venomous hatred for a series like Black Clover that you see that is really popular, but you just don't get it, and, it, and this especially applies to like people who are like really like negative about media for you know younger audiences, uh, just step back and think about like. Why am I getting so angry about this thing that is giving joy to people and especially like the audience it's made for? You know, it's fine. I, I don't have to engage with this. It's not an attack on me that this is popular yeah. and I don't enjoy it. I, th- I think we're pro- probably risking it a bit preaching here as well. So should we like change gears? Yes, I think so. <clears throat> I think just to wrap up the show, I think we can all recommend the Black Clover anime to fans of Black Clover. But I was wondering if you guys had any other recommendations from the fall 2017 anime season that you'd like to talk about on this podcast? Um, I, I do. This hasn't come out yet, but I, I do want to push it because uh, I'm biased. But uh, Children of the Whales will be airing this season. And uh, Viz is putting out the manga, and it's very interesting. The manga is its just fascinating to me. I, I have the pleasure of working on it. And I think the manga's coming out in November, maybe? But, uh, yeah, because because the manga has been really good, uh, I have high hopes for the anime. So my fingers are crossed. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. The art looks beautiful. I'm definitely very excited for it. I think the anime got picked up by Netflix, though. So. Oh, did it? Oh, no! that is right. That's no. next year, then. Oh, yeah, okay. I remember looking at it on my live chart, and I'm thinking, oh, this looks cool. Then I noticed it had Netflix. All right, so Ugh. the manga comes out. We'll have a bunch of volumes out by the time it's available on Netflix, so you'll all be super ready to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely, definitely check out the manga. Any other recommendations you have, Annalisa? No, I, I, uh, I've only watched Black Clover, uh, Kino, and then I watched Urahara, which I wasn't too jazzed on, so I can't give it a recommendation. Yeah, Urahara is a bit of a weird one. I've never seen a show that's so visually interesting, yet also kind of completely dull. For such a pretty looking, like, you know, the pastel colors are really bright and like, oh, this is interesting. It's just such a drab feeling tale. Oh no, this sounds like Rolling Girls all over again. The <laughs> no, Rolling Girls was better, so this oh, is worse. Oh no, <laughs> I was very salty about Rolling Girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I so. have to point out, you two both just turned into ghosts. <laughs> just, <laughs> no, very spooky. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one thing I can say is... If you want to see a very interesting approach to drawing eyelashes, watch like five seconds of it. Be like, oh my god, that's great. And then turn it off. And you know, that's great. That, I, I, the only times I was really paying rapt attention to it was on the close-ups. Because I was just like, they've made some cool artistic decisions here. <laughs> now that's a shame. Yeah. But Maxi, do you have any recommendations from the uh, fall season? I absolutely do. Uh, this has been kind of a wild week because like in the same period of time, or I guess a couple of weeks, we've had uh, 
a a novel preview for Junie Tyson's Zodiac War run in Weekly Shonen Jump, the whole first chapter, I believe it was, and m- maybe some change. Uh, and we had uh, the the comic running for free on the Shonen Jump website and app. And then the actual show itself itself has come out. And if you want to have one of the most interesting experiences of your life, consume the three of these things one after the other. Because they all take a completely different approach to uh, really? to certain details. So, yeah, well, it's it's the exact same events uh, with some minor differences. Like the the comic version adds a journalist character to be the uh, to be the reader viewpoint, and okay. the the anime gives a lot more background detail on the first focal character, uh, Ino Nishishi, uh, the the boar out of the zodiac. But like mm. by and large, it's the exact same events handled the same sort of way, but with little flourishes that make them distinct from each other. Because, like, normally, if you've, if you've, say, just read the comic of Psych, you don't want to immediately go into the anime, because you'll just be going, oh, this is the same thing. But it's it's fascinating to see these these little alterations in approach, especially uh, the anime, which is the studio's first actual proper project by themselves. Like, they've only really helped others and done video game stuff before this. They have an extended flashback sequence, really establishing how screwed up the boar is, like the length she went to to become the contender in this, the 12th tournament of the 12, that runs every 12 years. Because it's Nisio Isin, and he really likes repeating stuff as a way of being like, ha clever wordplay. Which <laughs> is also why she's called Ino Nishishi. It's just great. And so like, it, it, it adds more flesh there, whereas if you're reading the the comic you get to see how absurd everything is because there's this uh this journalist who's just constantly like what does all this mean are they saying they've got powers what's happening here i don't understand which is i mean let's be honest that's pretty much everyone's approach to a nisio isin work uh, and and then the book itself just it, i mean it's nisio isin completely unfiltered so you get this uh this slightly like obfuscated sort of like we're not giving you all the information on the page approach which is Great, because you're you're getting more details filled in in different ways across the other works, and like that that's cool for people who aren't necessarily sold on adaptations. I know I'm not really massively into them a lot of the time. Junie Tyson Zodiac Four, it does good at it, and uh, also has some of my favourite little things as well. Like, uh, I mean, spoilers if you've not watched the first episode, which if I'm recommending it to you, why would you have? Uh, so skip ahead a few minutes otherwise. <laughs> but uh, the the character Usagi, the rabbit in the Zodiac, who, first of all, is an incredibly, like, lanky, like, psychotic wearing a mankini and bunny ears. <laughs> I'm sold. He, he's so good. He's so good and so messed up. Like, one of my favourite touches, and it, it runs well across all of them, is... Uh, when the characters all meet in this sort of meeting room for the tournament, uh, he's actually already killed one of them, and he's just casually pointing at the ball with his with his massive blade that's got the Zodiac member's blood on it, and just going, I didn't do it. Like, not even, like, accusator, like, as an accusation, he's just kind of just pointing casually like one would with their hand while, like, talking. Just being like, I didn't kill him, what you want to be? And uh, his... And he takes offense that people are, like, looking at him like he did. Yeah, like, when he like, clearly he did. blood on his, like, knife. Yeah, it, it's so good. And his his power set, he's, uh, he, he does necromancy, but it's not necromancy. It's, uh, he's necromanticist. Which is, he doesn't bring them back from the dead, he brings them back from the dead as friends. Because he's like, he's romanced them in murder. Which is a beautifully stupid pun. And so messed up. That's amazing! And like, and he really sells it because like, the glee he has at, uh, 
eliminating a second character. I, I won't say that one because that is a huge spoiler for the first episode. But like his glee he has and being like, I've got another new friend. It's so, it's so catching despite the fact he is the most terrifying psychotic in the entire first episode. We talked about Juni Kaisen, the first two chapters of the novel and the first chapter of the manga, uh, before you can listen to that discussion on YouTube. And yeah, we touched upon a lot of the same things you were talking about, Maxie, that it's really interesting to have like all these different versions of the same sort of come out at the same time. And it's really interesting to compare like the differences between each version. I wasn't like too enthusiastic about adding the reporter character because I feel like it took us out a little bit. Of the experience. Yeah, I, I would say... I like how in the novel, it was, it's from Inu Nishichi's perspective at first. Yeah, which... And I feel like it doesn't really add much to have, like, the reporter character, like, take away some of that narration she has. No, he's, he's definitely the weakest addition in the adaptations, but because it's also drawn by Akira Akasuki, it's like, you, you forgive that a bit. Yeah, he has a decent design. Sure. Oh, I recommend it a lot. I'll, I'll throw in a second show just real quick as well as another recommendation. Uh, I'm really fond of this recent genre of women drinking alcohol uh, anime. It, it's it's so bizarre. It appears like we had a, what was it, Wakazake, I think it was, before? Yeah, yeah. Wakakozake. Yeah, which again has a great drama as well that like actually gives you real locations you can drink it at. But this, this new show is called Love is Like a Cocktail. It's like a proper bean anime length, like three minutes. And it treat, it just, it gets in, it gives you a scenario in which it's like, oh, I can't go out drinking. And then she gets home, her husband makes her a cocktail, she gets drunk, and it's cute. And you just go, yeah, that, that's great. Like, if I'm going to watch a short film, I want it to be completely innocuous and just have a nice drink. And it tells you how to make the cocktail. So if you're like me and you like a drink, then that's kind of useful. Yeah, that sounds like a really cute, nice, relaxing show. I love food shows that are like all about the experience of taking pleasure from food and like just enjoying it, like kind of like silently just like taking it in the atmosphere of like when the dish is presented and then just the experience of eating it well like, the show like you know food wars like really over the top cooking shows that's like you get like this big impact scenes about oh my god this dish is amazing it's blowing my clothes off but i really like these like quieter cooking shows as well where they're like i, I take a bite of this there's no over the top reaction but mm, just just happiness so yeah just mm, yeah this is why I loved Restaurant from Another World oh, from yeah. last season. That was such a amazing show to like watch when I come back from work at night and then I make dinner and then I just sit down and I just savor dinner while watching that show and the characters are doing the exact same thing. So good. Well said. So good. If you, if you really like shows that are about the experience of savoring food, then let me recommend a drama for you for next year. Because I have never been more excited for something that is a year from coming out than the live-action drama for a show that's going to be called Adultery Restaurant. What? I, so what? I, I've been buying the volumes of this because I, I read uh, Grand Jump, the Jump magazine aimed at uh, businessmen aged people. And one of its comics, it's, it's a real big hit as far as this magazine goes, is Adultery Restaurant, a series about a man going off and having a meal at various restaurants. Uh, he gets to enjoy the food intensely. Uh, a married woman there will also enjoy the food intensely. You know, maybe they'll get a little bit on the face, maybe a little bit of a mess, be a little rude. And then they will both have an affair together. Every chapter 
he, wow. he will go off. He will go off, have an affair with his what? wife, and have a delicious meal. And this is the structure of every single chapter. And the thing is, that is the most morally reprehensible comic I can imagine. <laughs> but it's also the perfect demographically aimed book I've ever seen because, like, it's written for businessmen and someone the, the creator of this comic has literally just gone what do businessmen want they want a nice meal that's bad for them and they want to have an affair and i'm like that is a oh weird leap to make but it's so good <laughs> uh, that just sounds amazing if ashley madison ever wanted to get into the publishing game <laughs> uh, i guess this would be the manga to choose oh it's God. just oh i i can't get over how good grand jump is guys it's the weirdest anthology in the world, just by nature of it being kind of like it trying to work out what grown men want to read and its answer <laughs> almost always being like something sweet, something morally bad, and maybe there's a titty. And that's like literally <laughs> the entire process they go through for every series. Doesn't doesn't matter if it's like a really sweet thing, like a the the life of the Ashitaba family's husband, which is an amazing comic about a sweet uh pre-married couple and then after they get married and pregnancy and stuff and that's the cutest most beautiful comic but it definitely does feature all of the women in it having uh, ridiculously large breasts and being seen in compromising positions that put uh put the main character mukan into a state I, I i've seen you post some of these pictures and all i can think of is oh that poor girl her, oh her back must hurt so all, much. All of their oh. backs must just be <laughs> destroyed. There. But like, I, I have to admire, cause, cause they are aiming for this very specific demographic. They've just gone all out, and like, the author's just gone, you know what? Big as you like, they'll buy it. It's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if that's ever going to get sub. Well, it, again, if, if people want to see what any of these comics look like, just pick up the Bookwalker app. You can lit, or, or go to ebook Japan. You can literally buy digital comics in Japanese for like, two to three pounds a pop now, like that, with no problems. We live in a golden age of me reading comics that are a little bit messed up, but in a good way. <laughs> Bookwalker is going to make Maxi go, bro. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it really is. Sorry, I, I've completely derailed us. Sin, uh, Lord, do you guys actually have any other anime to recommend? Here's a show that I know you love a lot also, Maxie, that started last season, and it's Magical Circle Guru Guru. Yes! This show continues to be one of my favorite anime of this year, and it's just a delight to watch every week. It's just such a cute fantasy adventure show with adorable, lovable characters, great sense of humor. It's very fast-paced because they're adapting a 16-volume manga in... 24 episodes. Wow. It does not feel like you're, you're losing any character development. Like, you still get a great sense for all the characters. You can still follow along the story. And, like, the moments that need to hit still hit. It's just really great comedy and really lovable characters. It's just such a cute, adorable little show. I mean, I, I can say with some confidence as someone who's uh, started very clumsily reading the original volumes that the fast pace actually kind of makes it easier to endear yourself to the characters because they have to be, you know, they have to be established, given to you, thrown at you. they are gimmicks out there, they are jokes out there, and it's like bang, bang, bang. And like, you will know it instantly if you love them or hate them. Whereas in the comic, it's a, it's a little bit of a slower burn, even though it is, you know, still a gag comedy with the two the two cutest children in all of anime. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes. How can you not love cookery? Like she's such a 
lovably innocent little girl. And then Nikkei is so adorable too, in like his bravado. Uh, well, I mean, to, to give people an idea when recommending a show, uh, the, the best thing from the first, uh, the first core, is it said core? I, I've never, uh, I've said it now and all I can think of is the best daddy from Final Fantasy. This is difficult. <laughs> oh, core is the best. Oh, he's so good. Uh, anyway, good. not to distract myself with that. Um, <laughs> Like, one of the best things that happens is in an awkward scenario, uh, Nikkei hides himself uh, underneath Kukri's dress, and for the rest of uh, that story arc where they're trying to rescue her from a, from a kidnapping by monsters, he can't remember what her face looks like, and every time he tries, he just pitches her butt. And <laughs> yeah. it's... <laughs> It's the yeah. sort of joke that I feel like other things wouldn't do quite as well, but because it's so sincerely written as kids, like, it's just, yeah. it's funny. There's not an ounce of uh, cynicism or filth to it. It's literally just <laughs> this dumb kid can't picture anything except for a girl's butt. <laughs> it really is just innocent fun. I'm really sad that the show hasn't gotten a lot more attention to the point, like, they stopped doing the ANN reviews, which are a real shame because, like, Amy McNulty's reviews were, like, just really positive and enthusiastic. But stuff that, like, really appeals to, like, younger audiences, I feel, I guess just doesn't, like, get as much attention from Western anime fans. I think you see that with a couple other shows. Yeah, like, they, they don't have the same sense of quote-unquote hype that uh, anime communities like to go on about. Yeah. It was Renee all over again. Poor, no. poor Renee. Yeah. I don't understand that comic at all because uh, I've been trying to read it in Shonen Sunday and it turns out that when you haven't got like years of context to what's going on, it doesn't make sense. Plus, <laughs> haven't they been doing a lot more plot stuff in Renee lately? If I, if I could tell you, I'd say for sure. There's a usual like, uh, one step forward, uh, 50 steps for back. a while. <laughs> There was some stuff with a girl and a praying mantis, and I don't fully understand what happened. And one of the cats has a human face, and I don't like that. It's really unpleasant to look at, and it scares me. Um, so, like, cl- clearly, I have to start from volume one to make this all okay, but, man. Yeah. Uh, that's that. Why Renee isn't, like, I guess popular compared to other Rumikotaka and Hashisus is something that I really want to get to the heart to, because I definitely think it's, like, the weakest of her works, but I still think there's a lot to enjoy in it. So that's like a project I want to do sometimes, just like get to the heart of, okay, why isn't Renee at this? Renee especially is like very different from other Takahashi works, like even in terms of just humor, like it's a very different type of like, I feel, comedy that it's doing. It's, like, it's more like, I guess, subdued or dry humor where, where like Ranma or like my son Koken or Seatsu are like more over the top with their humor. Mm. More gag a minute. Yeah. But that's definitely a conversation I need to have more in depth at a later date. But um, speaking of like shows that Amy McNulty reviews on ANN, Colton would be you know uh, remiss if I didn't mention that Gintama is back this season, and of course it's <laughs> as great as ever. They're adapting the arcs that they had not adapted before, all the smaller comedy arcs. Uh, and there's just a lot of fun stuff to expect from this season. And of course, you know, after this, this will be like the last bit of like comedy arcs from Gintama. Because when they do the next season of the anime, that's going to be the final arc. Then it'll be all over. I'll be caught up with the show in 320 episodes, so I look forward to finding out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still on episode 15. Yeah, you guys need to get caught up. But uh, speaking of comedies that are incredibly enjoyable, but you don't need to watch 300 episodes to get caught up on, Mr. Ultimatsu Season 2 is airing this season. Oh, yes, God. and Viz has picked it up and is uh, streaming it as well on their site. 
and I'm looking forward to their dub as well. Yeah, that dub is going to be interesting because, like, I, I know in Japan, like, the whole there's like a big deal about like each one of the Matsus is played by like, a very popular seiyu. Yes. So I, I wonder, like, are they going to do the same thing here, like get popular English VAs to voice each Matsu? I don't know. We'll if see. They'd have that level of a uh, budget for voice actors over here. That would be um, <laughs> that would be something to see if they got just the most popular. But man, like the the first episode of series two of uh, Asamasu-san, like really, really has me wondering if they're like daring the network to like remove their uh, their first episode again. <laughs> like it, it's, it does... that episode, it was so ingenious. Like it was like a real big commentary on like the show's own success and how ridiculous it is that like so many people fell in love with these disgusting terrible uh, characters because like they're literally presented as these fat disgusting uh you know slobs who are like you know profiting off of everyone's love for them and they're just being lazy and like you have like them like doing the laziest handshake events and just raking in the money and then and then you have like uh this moment later where Totoko is like auctioning off this really cheap uh merchandise and she says it, it doesn't matter whether that product is actually good or not, if it has the Matsu's name on it, it's going to sell. Yeah. It's like this really pointed satire on the commercial commercial success of the show and like how passionate and lucrative it has become for like seemingly no, for good reason, but like it's, it's definitely like a strange thing. To, in the minds of the show staff, like they weren't expecting this, that like these characters, these versions of the characters would be disappealing yeah. uh, to people. But like, it's, so it's like, it's like, it's also, it's daring to do more, uh, more direct parodies of stuff when nearly every single parody yeah. they've done has landed them in hot water. And there's, there's kind of little <laughs> touches as well. Like, um, our viewpoint characters for the, the first half are the actual two most popular characters from the original Asamasukan series. Like, to yeah, the extent where... Yeah, to the point where the uh, the brothers got put to the side for them. So having them now observe the, the massive popularity of the Masuno brothers is kind of an amazing little reference that doesn't mean anything that much unless you really know... The, like the stuff about the original series that has nothing in common with the current series. It's oh, it's so weird. I love it. It's clever. It was a really smart touch. Like this show is just one of the cleverest anime comedies that's like come out in recent years, and I'm so glad that it's back because season two is looking to be just as strong as ever based on this premiere. Because it was a laugh a minute. This is some of the most like pointed satire that I've seen in anime comedy. It does not get like this, uh, like overt about what it's parodying or like, you know, uh, commenting on politics or like just the fan culture, like as like cynically as Osamatsu-san <laughs> does. Uh, so yeah, this show is really good. I love the anarchic spirit it has. Yeah, so this is a great season, you guys. I'm really excited for it. I think there's a lot to enjoy. I think Black Clover is one of those shows I'm going to really enjoy watching week to week. Yeah. And I want to thank you guys for coming on and giving your first impressions on the first episode. This was a really great conversation. I think you touched upon a lot of great points about what was really interesting about this first episode and then some of the discourse behind it. And yeah, I think it was really fun to just talk to you guys again because it's been a while and I always love talking to you guys. Yeah, this has been fun. Thanks, thanks for having us. It's been good. 
<laughs> so I guess we'll close off by asking where people can find you guys. Annalisa, where can the good people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kaito underscore Ace. That's K-A-I-T-O-U underscore A-C-E. I'm there always. Always. And are there any, like, upcoming graphic novels that you've worked on that you really want to promote? Um, well, Volume 17 of World Trigger just came out. Uh, so go pick that up. We have one more until we reach the hiatus. Yeah, it, it, um, it's yeah, really important to go and keep this series in, like, people's consciousness, so, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> Remember Please, World Trigger. Yeah, yeah, fade away like I, went, I went to my local Barnes & Nobles the other day, I was so sad, there were no World Trigger volumes oh. on the shelf, and I was like, oh, Yeah, man. they used to have, like, an entire, like, section, like, dedicated to World Trigger, at least, well, like, a There were a lot of volumes there, Yeah, now there are none, it's like, it's sad. So sad. So please buy more World Trigger. Please and, buy World Trigger. Oh, man. Please return, Ashikara Sensei. Yeah, come soon. back to us. Um, so that that's coming out. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, Children of the Whales is coming out in November. I'm working on a couple other things, but they'll be out later. So no use uh, pimping those yet. Awesome. And uh, I also encourage everyone to once again subscribe to Weekly Shonen Jump. It's a great digital service. Annalisa Letters, Black Clover in the magazine, and... And Robo. Also, uh, very important, I forgot, but coming out, I believe this month digitally and in December physically, is Astro Lost in Space. Yes! Definitely, yeah. definitely read this series. Um, get on it right now. You can read it for free on shonenchimp.com. The chapters will be taken down uh, once the volumes are out. So you'll be able to read like the first couple chapters for free, but the rest of the first volumes, chapters, will be taken down. I'm pretty sure about that. So go read it right now. You can read everything that's out for free. It's super good. Please love it. Seriously, I read 36 chapters in one sitting. Like, I, I, I only meant to read six. It's so good. You, you can't miss this one. Yes, definitely go read Astro Lost in Space. Those chapters will not all be up for free for too much longer. But when the volume does come out, go buy the volume too, because it definitely deserves your support, because it's an amazing mm. series. Yes, really exciting stuff. And Maxi, how about you? Where can the good people find you? Uh, you can currently find me on Twitter at MaxiTheB, where I'm mostly just just kind of posting stuff up from a lot of Japanese comics that I'm... I, I'm going to say reading. I, I have to say I am reading them in the most broken possible understanding of the language. Uh... I, I've, this year I finally decided to take learning Japanese, uh, seriously for the first time in my life. And, whoo, it's hard. Um, but it, it's been very interesting. It's been nice to kind of be showcasing comics that don't necessarily get a lot of attention, uh, especially ones that don't even get, uh, for lack of better phrasing, fan attention, uh, through scans. Aside from that, I'm not really doing anything right now because I'm not sure what I want to be doing. Uh, I, I've kind of stopped doing anything resembling podcasts independent of appearing on other people's stuff. Uh, <laughs> just because I, I don't know if it's the, the work involved with it or anything, but I've just kind of gone like, I, I need, I need to just, if I, if I stop and don't pretend I'm doing it for a while, like if I don't just keep going, oh, there's stuff coming up, then it means I'm taking a proper break and I can come back to it when I'm actually doing stuff. So look forward to that in the year 2022. Sounds like a nice break. I like it. 
it, it should do me well. Uh, there's nothing worse than being a person who's done podcasting for almost a decade, but has never liked the sound of their own voice. Although who Aww. does, really? No. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I fi- love find the sound of your voice, Maxie. Me yeah, your too. voice is so cool. Thank you. Soothing. Uh, I love Friendship Before Victory, and I'm very excited for whenever it will return. But in the meantime, I just love talking to you on our podcast, just in general. I'm I'm, I'm an amazing guest, because I'll always say something really incendiary about uh, the usual sort of audience you guys cultivate. And you, Weemord, where can people find you? Uh, yes, people can find me on Twitter at VLORDGTZ, that is V-L-O-R-D-G-T-Z. I'm usually just posting about whatever manga I'm reading or just whatever I'm doing. Right now, I'm trying to do like a read through of Tokyo Pop's release of the original Lupin manga. But yeah, that that volume where Lupin decides he did he wants to just give up being a teeth and randomly decides to go to college. It's one of my all-time favorite volumes of manga, though, because it's, it's just an amazing random storyline. Yeah, uh, that, that's like the seventh volume. That, that's that's definitely one of my favorite manga volumes ever. Uh, but yeah, if you if you want to talk about that or JoJo or Conan, uh, yeah, just go hit me up on Twitter. And as for me, you can find me as Yasha on Twitter. Animation Revelation, my anime list, basically, wherever you see a guy called Lomaramayasha, assume that it is me. Hoping to do some more reviews for all comic coming soon. I definitely got a stack of books beside me that I'm just really interested in reading. We're always drowning in manga. Yeah, I have <laughs> some other priorities I'm working on right now, but really hoping to get back to reviewing some manga soon. And uh, as for the show... You can find Manga Mavericks on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks. You can find it on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com. You can find us on iTunes. And you can find us on YouTube. And you can also send your feedback suggestions to us us through email. Uh, Our email is MangaMavericks at gmail.com. We love reading your guys' questions and also hearing your feedback. So please make sure to do that as well. Uh, send us your thoughts on this podcast, whether you want to see more first impressions of anime or just more anime reviews in general. But, yeah, we got a lot of great shows uh, that we're doing. Manga Mavericks and Movies is probably the most regular show that's going out right now. You have, like, 20 of those on back. Yeah, I have, we <laughs> literally have 20 of those that we recorded. I just haven't released yet. But I think that uh, does it for the show. I just, uh, I guess I'll mention that you can also follow All Comic on Twitter at all-comic, and uh, of course, go to the site, all-comic, you know, great content on there as well, uh, lots of different great comic reviews and uh, stuff, so uh, definitely, you know, support the site, and that basically does it for uh, this podcast. It took a lot longer than I <laughs> predicted it would. It was a great conversation, though. So, I'm really happy. I'm glad to talk with you guys again. And for the audience, we'll see you next time. Sayonara, guys. Arrivederci. Shikute <laughs>